Be advised, Blue Rose Task Force is filled with secrets. Welcome to the Blue Rose Task Force podcast, where we look deeply into Twin Peaks as a whole, one episode at a time, using the full scope of the show Twin Peaks and all its official media. We don't use the word canon, but we consider all official releases important because Lynch and Frost have approved their presence. And we welcome all input into the collective consciousness that is the Twin Peaks community and wider universe. This podcast is a watch-along podcast for those who've seen all of Twin Peaks, including the third season, which we do consider as we go along. And today we are looking at the Twin Peaks collectible card art, the Star Picks trading card set released a few weeks after the airing of episode 27 of Twin Peaks. I'm your host, John. The cards begin with a shot of the classic street and town sign image and an invitation from Sheriff Harry S. Truman to visit the town, which is the framing device for this stack of 76 cards. The first 67 cards are a mix of famous dialogue from the show, important locations, iconic elements such as cherry pie, and the largest majority of them being characters from the show, grouped thematically from law enforcement to the Laura, Par- uh, to the Laura Palmer murder investigation, to noteworthy families, to supernatural entities. Then there's a few cards with trivia questions, followed by important staff members such as show creators Mark Frost and David Lynch. We're going to be a little bit looser with the main questions this week. We're basically just going to look at how seriously should we take these cards, and then how does the set enhance Twin Peaks and its lore, and also how does the set contradict Twin Peaks and its lore. And like always, we're going to look behind the curtain and see how this was made. So little is known about the actual production of these cards, but card number 71 within the set, uh, the production notes card, has some light to shed on things. It thanks the following people for their creative photographic contributions to this set. Paula K. Shimatsu-u, Craig Shodan, Dean Takuno, Kimberly Wright, and David Lynch. So I assume this is for all the images besides the fuzzy screenshots that are sometimes used on the cards, which they don't seem to credit the directors for when they're taking screenshots from the show. And then it mentions, A practicing astrologer for over 20 years, Bill Herbst contributed to this set by bringing his insightful experience to Twin Peaks. So who is Bill Herbst? Um, he's, um, he's basically... Um, I think part of the Minnesota branch of the Twin Peaks writers with Mark Frost. Um, that's how I think he got involved. Um, you know, probably the same way that all the actors from uh, Invitation to Love got involved because per Herbst's website, 
He says, in 1978, I moved to Minneapolis and my astrological clientele gradually expanded throughout Minnesota and across the country, all the way to Los Angeles, where the small but select Hollywood clientele I had from the 1980s through the mid-1990s allowed me the unexpected privilege of experiencing the movie biz from behind the scenes. And in parentheses, he says, oh, the stories I could tell. But he has yet to tell about this one. But it still matches up pretty well, like how he got involved or, you know, where he was for the right place, right time to become involved with this particular project. Anyway, the the card number 71 continues to say, after careful analysis of the character profiles, Herbst determined each character's birth date and zodiac sign, which we'll look into a little bit later on when I'm looking at the actual contents of the cards. As far as when the cards were likely written, Based on the content in the cards, the slate of cards were probably selected sometime by October of 1990, as they were beginning to plot out the episodes after the Laura Palmer murder investigation arc was completed, but hadn't gotten into all of the details. Um, the, The furthest details we actually see on the cards themselves were from episode 18, with the uh, quote card from Gordon about, don't let him rattle you, Coop. which is on our number 67 card, which is the last in-universe card before it moves into trivia and production. But on that same card, it also says that Earl is the one coming into that investigation rather than mentioning Denise Bryson at all, which to me says that the rewrites due to the Audrey Cooper romance being nixed likely hadn't happened yet when they got these cards approved for production. When the text of the cards were being written and approved for production. It was before the whole um, McLaughlin puts his foot down about the romance thing. Though the the art on the cards themselves probably weren't sent to Star Picks officially until at least in mid-November when, you know, when the said Don't Let Him Rattle You card actually had a screenshot of the speaker in the scene to go with it. And, you know, that was after also when episode 14 had aired on actual television and the, uh, you know, the, the famously defended hidden secret of, you know, who killed Laura Palmer wouldn't accidentally get out because they sent spoilers, you know, right on these cards to some location outside of Lynch Frost Productions. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, they started the cards, left the words the way they were, and then sent official art a little bit later. So, you know, that basically explains Also, why there are no character cards for later characters such as Andrew Packard, John Justice Wheeler, Annie Blackburn, or, you know, even Wyndham Earl as Kenneth Welsh, who would have most uh, most likely around that mid-November time period had only been being cast at that time rather than, you know, there in character for a character shot. And, you know, it also explains why the majority of the content on this set is the murder mystery. That was, you know, the big draw when this partnership with Star Picks was greenlit. You know, they hadn't actually planned ahead with the Lodge Lore stuff at this point too far. Um, you know, they'd only just gotten it started. You know, that that would explain why when, you know, while the show at episode 27 is hip deep in the story focused on the Lodges, this card set is focused on the almost five months gone storyline of the Laura Palmer murder mystery. So in that way, 
having you know evolved into almost a completely different storyline and show in a way um it made these cards feel immediately like they were nostalgia as far as when these were released a prop collector in the Twin Peaks scene right now, Vinny Gadera, he posted promotional material for this card set that said the release date was April 30th. And that matches the, um, you know, the quote unquote, totally scientifically factual Wikipedia. So, you know, I feel pretty good about the date of release between those two things. If released on April 30th, that means it's almost two weeks after episode 27 of Twin Peaks had aired on television. Um, it, would be almost six weeks more before the final two episodes would air. And this is a few days before the release of the autobiography of FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper, My Life, My Tapes, which is the Scott Frost book that I'll be covering next episode. So these cards, the book, the uh, the month later release of the access guide this was all part of a concerted plan that would release a batch of extended twin peaks merchandise around the same time of the airing of season two finale um you know the originally intended air date um that got delayed by abc when they continued to kind of stretch out this hiatus situation so the episodes didn't air as intended but the cards in the cooper book published by different companies kept to their originally intended schedule, which kind of implies the shape of season two as it was originally intended. These cards were sold in individual packs where you got like, you know, six to eight, you know, six to 10 cards per pack. Um, and um, it also came in a small box that um, had a complete set. And, um, you know, it's basically the um, the length and width of a standard card, and it's about maybe an inch and a half thick. So, you know, the thickness of 76 cards. I will say that set number 00554 that I have didn't come with an autographed card, but a message on the outside of the box explained that authentic authenticated cards with signatures of actors are randomly inserted into the sets. So uh, maybe... Uh, Maybe card collectors like uh, like the guy on Twitter, Joe Anthony, he might have a complete set or two of these uh, these signed cards. But I haven't bothered tracking down any of them personally. Um, and honestly, the cards themselves, I never even knew these cards existed until I picked up a set from now defunct More Fun Comics in Darien, when uh, Darien, Illinois, when they uh, did a lock in in the late 1990s. And um, you know, I just saw it there in the set i mean in the uh in the glass um you know in the glass display counter area and um i i think i picked mine up for like eight bucks at the time and these days i think it's like no more than thirty dollars to find these um i i would recommend them if you if you're this deep into twin peaks there's there's fun to be had but yeah that pretty much takes us to where i would usually put the log lady intro um, but you know, we don't have one of these to apply to a non-visual part of Twin Peaks or, you know, I mean, a non, uh, televised version of Twin Peaks, uh, nor does really anybody on staff have much to say about these cards in particular. They save their comments more for the access guide. Um, if, if they remember anything about this stuff, 
I guess what we're at is it's time to actually look at the cards themselves and see what they can reveal about Twin Peaks. But uh, first, we're going to take a moment to hear some words from our fellow podcasters on the Ruminations Radio Network. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Redrum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you. All right. Well, welcome back. First, uh, uh, you know, first things first, we're going to look at how seriously should we take these cards as a set of cards. They come with categories. You know, there, there's categories for characters. Um, there's a, ca- a category for locations. There's, um, you know, a certain amount of iconography, like where we have the log, the, the pie, the, uh, the fish, you know, even the ceiling fan gets a card. Um, then there's a category for famous dialogue. There's a category for trivia for three cards. And then there's even cards for the prominent staff. So um, as far as the famous dialogue quote cards, um, they seem to be there mostly to remind you of, you know, the storyline to follow to follow the Laura story all the way through till episode 18. Um, you know, to, to remind you of pieces of the plot from the show. It kind of reminds me of the sticker packs that you'd add to these um, pictureless sticker albums that you'd buy packs for. And, um, you know, it would, it would have the text of the story of like various, you know, cartoons of the day, like Voltron. And, um, you know, Diamond is the company that I got my Transformers the movie one where, you know, it comes with a tech specs magic decoder where like a little red sheet, you know, you'd, you'd put it over like jumbled images and it would, it would, uh, bring more things to the surface. But, um, you know, the pictures themselves for those things, I mean, it's just screenshots from the cartoons that you would just like put in there and it would like tell you the story. So I kind of feel like that's what those cards are supposed to do here with the famous dialogue, just, you know, jog your memory. And make you say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, that is that is a good line of dialogue. Um, then, you know, we have the trivia cards, which are essentially more confusing than informative. You know, it's like for as deep divey as Twin Peaks fans were back then, um, these these trivia cards are not put together well. Uh, and they're not really fact-checked. You know, there, there's about five questions per card, and there's three of them. And we get things like, you know, how much of the town does Ben Horn own? And the answer on the other side is half. But, you know, that's just from a line of dialogue that, you know, it's like, well, Ben Horn, he owns half the town. I mean, that's hyperbole, not fact. So um, that's about how deep they go with these um, questions and answers. Uh, You know, like, uh, who were the original Bookhouse Boys? That only went to the people that we saw on screen that were Bookhouse Boys now, except we know that uh, per other dialogue in the show that, um, you know, this goes way before Harry and Ed, um, you know, and the, and the people before them, too. So, uh, yeah, um, they they didn't bother getting too many answers for these cards. They just threw them out there. Um, and then, you know. You know, who is Laura's prom date? She never made it to prom. She only made it to homecoming. You know, they meant homecoming, but yeah, I mean that that's just the trivia cards. You know, they're they're um they're an also ran thought. Now, as far as the production and staff cards, um, it kind of reminds me of the manager's cards that you'd get in the baseball card packs. Um it 
the um the production area started with card number 71 which i mentioned about you know crediting the photographers and the um and the astrologer but on the front of the card is one of my all-time favorite cited quotes from mark frost and david lynch from their may 1990 new york magazine interview where frost said I would sit at the keyboard and David would sit in a comfy chair and we would go back and forth. You throw your minds up toward the ceiling and they meet somewhere near the light fixtures. The scripts become written by a third party. The author is someone called Lynch Frost. And um, on the back of um, on the back of Mark Frost's actual card, where he's um, on the front of the card, we see him like sitting next to a globe and everything else. He looks very, uh, very dramatic. But on the back, he says he recently completed directing Storyville, a feature film, though I suspect that was more of an aspirational thing that he was hoping would happen by the time he finished the uh, by by the time the cards were published. But um, yeah, because like that doesn't really track with when he actually did this. And, um, you know, the cards mention previous productions of his, you know, The Believers, Good Morning Chicago, and Hill Street Blues, where he got his start. So as far as the other cards for the for the uh, staff, we've got Lynch, whose only detail, you know, I mean, this is like quintessential Lynch, like why explain anything, including yourself? Uh, his only detail is Eagle Scout. <laughs> the entire rest of his card is just empty space on the back. Um, Angela Badalamente, as mentioned, he has a list of scores that includes National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which I always forget about. And um, I didn't know that he had master's degrees in composition, French horn, and piano. So very cool. Um, we've got Julie Cruz, who references a whole bunch of her work, uh, references theater work. Um, as well as albums, you know, she mentions her Saturday Night Live appearance, uh, being in Industrial Symphony Number no. One, and um, I'll have I'll have to look into what she's done with wind with wind in the willows, because um, you know, listening to Joel Baco over the years, he definitely has explained why wind in the willows has kind of a a thematic resonance with Twin Peaks. And um, it's cool that she's uh, been involved with that in some capacity, too. And um, Jennifer Lynch, uh, she has a card in here, too, and is probably the most realistic of the bunch. Um, she mentions her screenplay completed in 19, which she'll direct at uh, 22, which, you know, she doesn't say it by name, but it's going to be Boxing Helena with Sherilyn Fenn. And um, she also mentions that she... Uh, She's the spokeswoman for Laura Palmer, you know, saying that she wrote the diary without saying she wrote the diary. And um, like her dad, she writes down how she likes uh, a good diner and coffee, uh, as well as a good idea with a whole day to think about it. But, you know, most relatable to me, you know, besides she likes to win a Monopoly, is um, her first accomplishment. And that she lists under accomplishments is getting up every morning for 22 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so that's pretty much the, um, the stuff that isn't, um, you know, in universe exclusively. And, uh, now I'm going to start to talk about that as far as the framing device for these cards. Um, 
the in-universe reason for the cards is uh, is right there on card number one, which is labeled Welcome to Twin Peaks title card. That's the one with the picture of the street and the town sign with the mountains in the background. Harry writes the message on that one. He's talking about how these cards are a self-guided tour, and he encourages us to explore the town and do it in order based on the checklist for maximum result. So as far as the good goes, there is world immersion on it. You know, Harry writes a note that, you know, he's proud about the town and he references Nadine with a nod towards the Twin Peaks High School, making it to the state finals in wrestling with a co-educational squad. And the cards themselves, I guess, are arranged slightly by family or, you know, similar social standings as they go, you know, grouped by categories in a way. But, um... Otherwise, this um, this self-guided tour is a pretty flimsy premise because on that card, number one, it has uh, it has down to the bottom note to truly experience the intrigue surrounding Twin Peaks. You should first refer to card number two, which is the checklist, and then order your cards numerically. So why would he give a town of uh, you know, a, a tour of the town based around intrigue um, and. Um, Of course, there's this other detail on card number three, which is bird, and it's the Bewick's Wren, which is the the bird in the credits that we first see. It says, I mean, you know, it it says about the Bewick's Wren that it's a bird that lives near water, indigenous, indigenous to the Pacific Northwest. But then the card also contains the meta element of the beauty of the raw, woodsy nature of Twin Peaks is represented through the images of the opening credits. Mentioning the opening credits of your show while you're supposed to have something that you could find in the show is, uh, you know, kind of kind of broken right there. You know, not to mention on every single character card here, it has a category on the side for the actor they are portrayed by. And another kind of in-universe difficulty that you get is like, how could there be cards of lodge entities? And why would there be nods to a murder investigation for an element of tourism? So, you know, I, we're just not supposed to actually take the framing device terribly, you know, seriously as, um, as viewers. You know, it's, it's all like winks and nods and stuff. That said, what is Harry's tour? I mean, the the path of his intended tour, based on the checklist, is, um, you know, it, it's not a pleasant romp through his town. It pretty much follows Cooper's path through the show. So it's like a tour for us as viewers, remembering, you know, like, this is how the plot went in the show. And, um, you know, it, it's just supposed to give us something to to remember. Um, yeah, the first three cards are kind of like the credits with the Welcome to Twin Peaks sign, you know, and uh, the, uh, I mean, the checklist is its own thing. But, you know, then it goes into the birds. So, you know, that's the credits. And then it follows Cooper's arrival by going into the law enforcement. You know, it's like, okay, first card, you know, card number four is Dale Cooper. Then it shows his tape recorder, which is one of those iconographic, you know, the uh, the iconography uh, category. Um, then we get a quotes card right away. The famous dialogue of Diane two fifteen in the afternoon, and you know it's it's his um, you know the monologue that he does. And then there's cherry pie, which is the next thing that he 
talks about in that monologue, even though it's about um, what the uh, the lamplighter in. I, I can't even remember at this point. Um, but then, you know, it goes into the sheriff's station where he met Harry, basically. Um, and then it is Sheriff Truman and then Deputy Brennan and Lucy Moran and Deputy Hawk. So the people that that uh, Dale ends up working with. Um, then it goes into the Laura Palmer case that brought him there. And it starts out with corpse, which is, you know, the iconic image of Laura wrapped in plastic. And on the back of the card, its heading is Laura Palmer in body bag, which, you know, uh, it, it turns Laura into an object right away. And it breaks the fourth wall to reference how the story of her murder was referenced in newspapers and magazines throughout the world. So, yeah, it's not exactly cool that um, Laura is in the iconography section in that way. But then, you know, at least they give her a character card, the next one with Laura Palmer. And then we get a, the uh, the suspects and the clues category, uh, you know, the people related to Laura most. Um, we, we get a heart locket. Then we get James Hurley. Then we get Dr. Jacoby, the diary. Dr. Hayward, and then I guess it follows her best friends for a bit, too, with, um, you know, Donna Hayward. And then it inexplicably has Pierre Tremond right here, um, right after Donna, I guess, because um, because she's the one who met Pierre. Um, and then Madeline Ferguson right after that. And then now we start to kind of go into town families in a way, like with uh, with the Martells, probably because, you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, Pete is the one who called Harry about it. So, like, maybe that's why they started with Pete, because he's the one who uh, kind of brought the plot to the town uh, with, you know, she's dead, wrapped in plastic. Um, then we get Catherine Martell. Um, a quote of, that she says, you know, everything smells like fish. And, you know, then we get uh, the Packard sawmill where they live, then Josie Packard. Then we get a quick interlude of where, um, you know, uh, here, uh, Dale says, man, smell those trees. And uh, then we get a pine cone card. And after that, we're back into the town area uh, where we've got... Um, you know, the double R and Norma Jennings and coffee, which you get at the double R, uh, Shelly Johnson, who works at the double R, uh, followed by Leo Johnson and Bobby Briggs, you know, her, her, uh, quote unquote bows. Then we get Ed Hurley and big Ed's gas farm and Nadine Hurley. And then, um, I'm going to have the world's, which is a quote card for when she talks about the silent drape runners. Then we get some more kind of in-between stuff where um, one day my log will have something to say, which is um, kind of uh, almost an introduction to the supernatural side of the investigation with um, with a quote from the log lady to Cooper uh, when he can't hear her, um, her log's message. Um, then we get the log lady, log, the roadhouse, and One-Eyed Jacks. So the kind of in-between locations right there, too. And then because he owns One-Eyed Jacks, we get the horns. We start out with Benjamin, then we get Audrey, then we get Jerry, and then Horns Department Store, followed by Richard Tremaine. <laughs> uh, then we get the Great Northern Hotel and Whitetail Falls. 
and then we get into the uh the more darker side of things you know mentioning one eye jacks i guess uh brings us closer to jean renault which happens right after the the owls are not what they seem card so we we get introduced by the darkness and supernatural crowd with the quote from the giant um after cooper is shot in the great northern so i can kind of see the logic of how we transition in that way and why jean renault is right after that but before the giant card who says that i mean maybe it's because one of the giants clues said something about um jacques renault being the man in the smiling bag and like that's the only mention of jean's brother so maybe that's why they're connected right there but his spot is kind of uh just as strangely um included as pierre tremont but you know after jean we get the giant and then we get a quote he is bob which was um that that great monologue from uh from episode 13 from uh mike you know philip gerard and then we get a card for the one-armed man uh then we get killer bob and then leland palmer and sarah palmer and ceiling fan and then a quote card maybe that's all bob is which was uh albert at the end of part 16 or episode 16 um and then we get um agent rosenfield followed by major briggs followed by owl and then we get a couple of you know cards that kind of lead into the next stuff so uh um two quotes from episode 18 where um you know hawk is saying local legend the white lodge that whole monologue that introduced the uh the white lodge and the black lodge from hawk and then we get the last quote card which is don't let him rattle you coop from gordon cole so like two things like nodding to the direction that the show is already in at this point but um you know that's that's all we get as far as that kind of lore um and then it gets really meta which which is where we get the three trivia cards the uh the production notes card for the set um and then you know mark frost and david lynch angela battlemente jennifer lynch and julie cruz finishes off the set so now we can break down a little bit further like how does this set expand twin peaks and its lore and how does it contradict it and i'm gonna kind of break it down by category um and then talk about how it expands and contradicts um you know piece by piece so first thing we get is we get a really good sense of where all these places are actually located in twin peaks and in relation to each other too um okay for uh card number eight the the sheriff's station it says it it basically matches the where it is according to where it is on the access guide so um you can kind of tell that they're writing the access guide at the same time as these cards at least for some of the things um the uh the sheriff's station is in the center of twin peaks on highway 21 which is main street um and it also mentions that it's two blocks from the wagon wheel bakery which is in the access guide we're going to find out that's where the donuts come from but you know don't fault Cooper for ordering the donuts from Annie in in a recent episode of Twin Peaks um, when they have the Wagon Wheel <laughs> Bakery nearby. Where we've got um, 
from south of the sheriff's station, uh, we have Big Ed Ga- Big Ed's Gas Farm, which is on Highway 21, head south, uh, and it's between Twin Peaks and Lowtown. And we have the Roadhouse kind of in that neck of the woods too, which is between Twin Peaks and Lower Town. Note the difference between low and lower. That's a consistency that they've had since the diary. Um, but it's down the road from Big Ed's Gas Farm and very near the Bookhouse, which is right next door to it. Head east from the sheriff's station, you know, head back north and go east from the sheriff's station and you get Horn's department store, which is located in a main shopping district east of Highway 21. And uh, the Double R Diner is located on Highway J, which is down the street from Horn's department store. Head north from there and you're going to find the Packard Sawmill, which is located on 100 acres east of Highway 21. Which is and it's 2.3 miles north of Twin Peaks and east of the Great Northern Hotel, which is on the and and uh, the Packard Sun Mill is on the southern shore of Black Lake. You know, move move a little bit west from there, closer probably uh, to being north of the sheriff's station. We've got um, the Great Northern Hotel, which is located slightly north of Twin Peaks and just below the base of Black Lake west of highway 21 and then it says look for signs marking the turn so you get the idea that it might be a little tough to to snake your way up to the top of the uh the waterfalls maybe and um you know just just local instructions of driving too that's it's a nice touch and then uh, on whitetail falls i mean it, it's right there at the great northern hotel and it says that its source is is in black lake approximately two miles north so um you know the the question for um for me from that is you know does that make black lake and pearl lake part of the border between the u.s and canada and um yes for at least one of them cuz on the one eye jacks card where um the the image on the one eye jacks card by the way is that neon sign with the jack on it, it says on the one eye jacks card on the northwestern shore of black lake on the canadian side of the border so black lake at least is part of the uh, the border between the us and canada right there and I bet that means that Ronette's Bridge is on Black Lake, at least in some capacity, or over Black Lake. You know, not that Ronette's Bridge has a card. I mean, at least they uh, <laughs> went for realism there, where that wouldn't be a landmark according to this set, per se, um, at least according to Harry. But yeah, more than just where they're located, we get more, um, we get a sense of almost like, how these places want to brand themselves according to the town too. Um, you know, in the Great Northern Hotel, it talks about how it was established in 1927 and has 102 guest rooms. Uh, Horn's department store lists its hours. And, um, you know, per, per Dick Tremaine's card, you know, he's the head buyer of men's fashion. So, <laughs> you know, like we, we get kind of the inner workings of that place in a way. Um, the Roadhouse. The Roadhouse notes that it's the only place in town with live music and it has dancing on Fridays and Saturdays. And it's also cash only, 
and it admits 18 years old. You know, even though it looks like most of the high schoolers are 17, it kind of justifies that, you know, they'll let in high schoolers to the place. And then it just says 21 to drink. So it's kind of like the bronze over in Buffy, um, you know, like where or probably 90210 had a place like that, too. Um, but, you know, anyway, like it, it gives room for kids and otherwise underage kids to be able to be in in the roadhouse, just like any other character. The Double R Diner notes its menu can be found in the Access Guide, so another reference to the Access Guide, a concurrent production. And um, then a note that Norma makes six pies for the Eagle Scouts' annual July 4th pie-eating contest. So um, that's appeasement to uh, Eagle Scout David Lynch, probably. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, we got got the uh, Sheriff Station card confirming... um, that um, Harry has been sheriff for the past six years, but also falling under who's your audience and how would you know this? Um, The card also posts that no one's escaped from the maximum security cells until Bob. So, you know, like the first mention of Bob um, in the set uh, being right there on the uh, sheriff station card. Um, Similarly tricky material, but at least believable in universe. We've got, um, the, uh, the Packard Sawmill mentioning that hundreds of workers are now unemployed after the fire, but um, they're also being fed a line that the back of this card says where management has assured employees that every attempt is being made to restart operation as quickly as possible, which, I mean, it's it's a bucket of crap, uh, you know, c- considering everyone seems to be aware of Stop Ghostwood at this point, um, which is, you know, Ben and Catherine's only focus after a certain episode, um, rather than the employees that are barely name dropped. And, you know, this is the last mention of mill employees outside of the access guide. That's how important the employees are, according to the Packard Sawmill in actuality. And then we've got one eye jacks where, um, you know, filed under details that shouldn't be publicized on a tour. Um, we know here that Ben's been the owner for the past 11 years, which um, was secret enough for Audrey. So, like, why put it out there on public record? Who knows? Uh, but, you know, they're known to have the 52 pickup girls, which is a neat way to explain the uh, connection to the cards theme that they have. And then they mention that it's closed on Sundays and Canadian holidays. So it's treating itself like it's an official business. So we end up learning like what's important to the town in a couple of ways. Like, you know, we get on, on the fish card, we get, you know, where the best places to fish is a very large lake called Black Lake and a small lake called Pearl Lake. So they're kind of... um connected at least thematically there i get the impression that they're right next to each other in a way too you know we get a card for the pine cone which you know says as far as appearance it says all episodes um which you know not exactly you know i I, why use a pine cone it's something that lynch likes to use um not typically other directors you know like the the pine cone on the announcers thing for uh you know, the nine inch nails, you know, it's like that, uh, you know, pinecone is just like one of those images that Lynch likes. So I'm sure he said, you know, it's like, put a pinecone in the set. 
you know that but easier to figure out you know we get the pie recipe here so yeah the picture is pie and you know then it's like the cherry pie recipe um you know it's a different arrangement of the words but otherwise it's identical to the recipe in the access guide and um it seems to be used in a real restaurant at the time too because in notes here and in the access guide try twin peaks cherry pie at dupar's restaurant and bakery so um dupar's is a place where lynch and frost would hash things out i think that's even where they went when uh when starting to talk about season three. So, um, yeah, this is one of their restaurants. And, um, you know, is is the pie still on the menu over there? I'm not exactly sure. But um, for, for my 25YL article, the only Twin Peaks access guide resource you'll ever need, I, I asked Rachel Stewart to write up her making the recipe because she volunteered for it. And I say, thank you, Rachel. What she had to say about the recipe you can get on the back of this card is, I made it the better part of the day and shared the pie with friends, and it was good. The cherry filling was tart and sweet, and the crust was buttery. Everything an FBI agent could dream of. The recipe note about adding more or less sugar is spot on, and if I ever make it again, I'd like to try it with dark cherries, which would warrant an extra spoonful of sugar. I added a little commentary about the full review uh, or the uh, the full explanation of her process. Um, I said, I love how time and patience is an actual requirement for the recipe. It makes me think of mindfulness and the love Norma puts into it. And it's very on brand intentional or not. So, you know, thanks again to Rachel Stewart for letting me have that <laughs> information. And um now time to keep moving on the cards. So um, every card has a reverse negative image on it, you know, like even the fish. I mean, not not the pie, though, which is interesting because I don't think the pie has a negative side. Um, but, you know, like from uh, from card number three with the Bewick's Wren, um, you know, most characters, the elements of iconography and even the locations have a negative image. Um on the top left area on the back of their card. Um, so in a way, that's kind of like, you know, the internal and external represented even on these cards thematically. Um, there, there's an inversion. There's a, uh, there's a reversal and a backwardness. I mean, it, they, they call it a, re, a negative image, you know? So it's almost like, you know, we get the positive side on the, uh, on the front and um, the, uh, the negative side on the back, literally. But, you know, it's basically, you know, shadow where there was light, light where there was shadow or dark. Uh, you know, it, it, it all kind of feels right. And, um, yeah, the pie doesn't have a negative image because it's always positive, probably. You know, even even Eagle Scouts want them for their pie eating contest. You know, it's like there's nothing uh, about Norma's pies that could ever be negative because they're made with love, as Walter says in season three. Now, there is some tricky disclaimery kind of stuff, you know, uh, filed under thanks 1991. There's like flippant nods to, you know, then acceptable racial stereotypes like, you know, Harry being into Japanese food, probably because of Josie and, um, you know, forgetting that uh, Josie might be a different kind of Asian. You know, it's like things like that are just uh, I don't know. And um, Hawk winning the one armed axe throw. 
of the last five Packard Timber games uh, because, you know, he's an Indian, you know, stuff like that. I mean, eh, I don't know. And, um, you know, Catherine always wins best costume at Halloween parties because she can be, uh, you know, Mr. Tojimura. You know, so there's nods to stuff like that. And it's just supposed to be a laugh at the time, but it just doesn't age well. But, you know, at the time, at least I don't think the intent was there. It was just ignorant. But then, you know, in a in a similarly flippant kind of way, we get um, nods to actual actors in the details, too. Um, like Hawk going to a Zuni reservation high school. It's probably because Michael Horse is part Zuni in his heritage. And, um, you know, then we get like Pete Martell. He went to Missoula High School in Montana even though he seems to have been a local to Twin Peaks, I think um, he got sent to uh, the same school as Maddie for his education, but probably just due to Jack Nance's connection with David Lynch and, uh, you know, Missoula, Montana being where Lynch came from. But, you know, other other than, like, random details like that, um, for the most part, characters and places pretty much sound like themselves. So, I mean, the voice is mostly good in character. Now, about the characters, you know, we, we've got their astrology. You know, it's like we, um, we get everybody's birthdays here. So that means we get everybody's astrological signs, too. And I'm not going to go too deep into this because I don't really know anything about it. Uh, but uh, I will list off who's what. So for Aries, we have Dale Cooper, Dick Tremaine, and Jean Renault. For Taurus, we have Harry Truman and Leo Johnson. For Gemini, we've got Lucy Moran, Doc Hayward, Shelley Johnson. For Cancer, we have Laura Palmer, Maddie Ferguson, and Pete Martell. For Leo, we've got Ben Horn and Audrey Horn. For Virgo, we have Hawk, Dana, uh, <laughs> Dana Hayward, good Lord, Donna Hayward, Josie Packard, and Albert Rosenfield. For Libra, we have Norma Jennings. For Scorpio, we've got Catherine Martell and Ed Hurley. For Sagittarius, we've got Bobby Briggs and Jerry Horn. For Capricorn, we have James Hurley, Pierre Tremond, and, and uh, for Aquarius, we've got Dr. Jacoby, Nadine Hurley, and Philip Gerard. For Pisces, we have Andy Brennan, Leland Palmer and Sarah Palmer. In an unknown category, we have the Log Lady, the Giant, and then Bob, who is listed from the beginning of time for his birthday. Now, again, I'll let you decide if you know anything about astrology, if that gels for you, or if like maybe things have uh, changed as far as how you feel about them after what you know from season three or whatever, you know, let me know. I'd be curious about that. And, uh, maybe we could do a mailbag episode in part around something like that. Um, definitely interested in learning more about it, but, um, you know, now we got a few other details about this set. Um, there's an inconsistent timeline, uh, within this set. Um, in universe, I mean these these cards were obviously written at different times from each other. You know, we have Laura Palmer being alive on her card for one thing, um, as is Maddie and Leland and Josie. Um, though on Sarah Palmer's card, you know, she mentions the deaths of Laura, Maddie, and Leland. Um, I guess 
when she wrote that, you know, she had more time to fill out the cards after they died, you know, and, and, uh, you know, sarcastically the, um, the in-universe people who made this deck must have taken her info in that period before three days later, you know, when she had a little bit of room in her schedule. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, other, other, um, strange inconsistencies we've got james listing his accomplishments that he's already graduated so did he write this entry after he got back from mexico and it's probably it's just an inconsistency but you know you could look at it that way if you want to or maybe he just had you know wish fulfillment happening now as far as other details that are inconsistent with the show you know we we have laura palmer being named prom queen instead of homecoming queen and bobby being her prom date instead of homecoming date and then stuff like you know nadine hurley's birthday being in 1950 means that she would be 39 in the show's 1989 but scripts usually show her at 37 and when she says it she says 35 and also on nadine's card i'm pretty sure our little brown mouse wasn't actually a cheerleader in 1966 so she wouldn't have been a cheerleader in two separate decades like her card says but you know i can see um you know with the flippant tone of this stuff i can see why they wanted to phrase it that way and then we get stuff like the one-armed man card you know and and on the back they list his real name of philip gerard even though they use two l's in philip um it says under accomplishments i lived to tell about bob uh strengths I can tolerate Bob and weaknesses. Without my drugs, I'm Bob's familiar. So I think somebody forgot exactly how that whole thing works because um, uh, Bob was his familiar rather than him being Bob's familiar. So, I mean, you, you could technically write this off as an inversion of the cards versus what happens in the show, but uh, I'm just writing that off as... Um, you know, inconsistent um, accident from the writers of the cards. Um, we've got less controversial details on the cards that um, seem more like they're insightful and uh, maybe they're reinforcing character details too. We have a possible answer to Shelley's age here. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically nods to her being a high school dropout because under weaknesses, uh, she says, I should have stayed in school and gotten a bit more mature before marrying. I feel I have missed something. So um, according to this, she's born in 1972, which places her at 17 for the show, and that puts her in the same year as Laura, Bobby, and Audrey. And um, it also says that Leo's supposed to be four years older than her based on his card next. Um, but, you know, Shelley just says, you know, she's filled with regret and feeling a lack of accomplishment. And um, I, I still get the feeling that she's like in her early 20s at this point. But um, I, the the people who write the show at least kind of put put it in canon that it, that um, she's a high school dropout that um, came from the same year as the uh, the kids in the show. You know, for Cooper, we've got the the consistent detail that you know he he did a perfect 100 on a marksmanship test so you know he's a he's a sharpshooter um and um on the back of his card it nods to his name being db cooper you know dale bartholomew cooper 
So it's a reference to D.B. Cooper. And in his strengths field, um, he says, if I hadn't joined the FBI, I might have been a magician. The sense of magic and mystery fascinates me. So, um, you know, the magician longs to see Cooper tying into that, you know, it, it, it thematically, okay, you know, <laughs> and um, under Cooper's weaknesses, it mentions how he compromised his personal responsibilities over personal feelings for Caroline, you know, without saying Caroline. So um, on Cooper's card, it basically nods to the supernatural plot and um, his future plot with um with Caroline and Earl. So um yeah, his his um his cards probably most in line with the the future as well as kind of where he just fits in with how the the writers think about him. And then we get details for like Laura Palmer. She's learning to drive motorcycles from James. Um on James Hurley's card, um, the the wonderful and strange Twin Peaks logcast podcast pointed out um, how while Donna's card ha- under likes has James, James's likes has Harley Davidson motorcycles. <laughs> so we get kind of their their relationship in a nutshell. <laughs> but um, you know, on, on Josie Packard's card, um, it makes nods to how she has male mentors, you know, specifically male mentors, and um the survival mentality that she's developed. On Benjamin Horn's card, where um, they show him on the phone at One Eye Jacks, that's when they took his picture. Um, it says he pledged SAE at Stanford, um, and he doubled the family money in four short years. And um, under his weaknesses, he lists none. We got Ed Hurley, who hangs on to his 8-0-1 football record from high school where he played wide receiver. So that tracks with access guide information again. Um, and under Doc Hayward's card, um, it says he served on the National Committee for, of, of the AMA for the study of euthanasia. So, I mean, it's, it's a humane way to end suffering. But, um, you know, it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't necessarily lead to truth. It just ends suffering. So that's thematic with the town for sure. And then we get um, on Sarah Palmer's card, uh, Under Weaknesses, she basically says, I am not able to see evil in the world until it is too late. I should have had more open communication with my daughter and husband. I'm too dependent on sedatives. You know, she only has the sight of the damned now, apparently, uh, rather than being gifted. But yeah, it, it it goes right along with, you know, looking away from things and what happens there. And um, yeah, I kind of feel like Doc Hayward's euthanasia is like, you know, sure, it's humane, but in another way, it's also a symptom of looking away that this town focuses on. And then we get a category for details that we wouldn't have been given. So, you know, aside from what I've already been mentioned, um, you know, we wouldn't get references to Bob. Um, you know, on Laura Palmer's card, it, it ends with, I'm so afraid of Bob. And um, on Leland Palmer's card, you know, which is uh, taken next to a totem pole in the Great Northern Hotel, Leland's card says, 
you know, basically everything's on the up and up with him until under weaknesses in large font, it says Bob with a period. <laughs> so it's definitive and it's obvious and it's, um, yeah, something that the town wouldn't actually know. You know, aside from that lore kind of stuff, there's this other detail that's being, you know, completely illegal that we wouldn't get on the back of Nadine Hurley's card. And, um, her picture, uh, I believe, is in uh, that pink dress that she was wearing uh, right before her suicide attempt. So is that when they took her picture? Like, that's kind of thematically interesting right there, too. But um, but on the back of her card, we have Jacoby breaking patient confidentiality, which, you know, he, he you know, as as an actual therapist, he wouldn't do that. Um, and on this card, he says, unfortunately, due to Nadine's current mental state, she is unable to recollect this data herself as her psychiatrist. I have disclosed some information that she has revealed to me under hypnosis. I mean, it's it's interesting implications, first of all, about the hypnosis. Like, she's not under delusion when you can hypnotize her. Like, you know, like she can... Uh, you know, part of her is actually awake, you know, it's like, okay, that's interesting. You know, Jacoby basically also saying, I attest that all the information provided above is true and must be kept strictly confidential. Sure. Except when put on a trading card. So, um, yeah, I mean, this thing just breaks the fourth wall all the time. And, uh, you know, it also breaks the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, again, don't take it too seriously. I'm not going to expect Jacoby to go to jail over that. <laughs> uh, but you know, again, we get the odd placement of Pierre Tremont and Jean Renault. Um, I, I kind of mentioned that already. We've got, um, for Jean Renault's education, it says Quebec Reform School. Um, so, you know, they're not trying too hard for education for them. And, um, yeah, it's just strange that they put him between the giant's dialogue and the giant. And um, probably my biggest question of what the hell is going on with this card is actually the Pierre Tremont card. Because, first of all, there's no Mrs. Tremont associated with it. You know, there's no card for the for his grandmother. And um, I get that he, it's it's right after Donna because she's the one who met him. But, you know, why isn't this card in with the Lodge character section? Like, did they did did the writers actually have a different approach where they thought he'd be coming back as a character? Or was this just a joke by the writers? I can't really tell. Um, you know, first of all, he has a birthday of of January 10th of 1983, which um, I forgot to actually check if that's uh, Austin Lynch's birthday or not. But um, it says under likes, you know, he likes chicken and magic tricks and uh, detests yellow food. Um, under education, it says he went to Twin Peaks Elementary School. And under accomplishments, it says, I am one of the youngest master magicians who can make himself disappear. Under strengths, he says, I have, perfect, uh, I have perfected the sleight of hand trick producing a red rose utilizing only one petal. And under weaknesses, he says, I dislike creamed corn. You know, I, I think this is just um, Lynch's way of giving his participating kids a card in the set. You know, it's either that or, you know, <laughs> like, did they really think Pierre was going to be a character on the show? 
Um, you know, did, did they think of that at the time? You know, like, I, I, I don't know. It, it's tough to understand any of that, but you know, like looking at it for, you know, what they thought of him possibly at the time, uh, makes me think of how we get details about how the, um, about how the show writers thought about the mid season two section of the plot that was in process. You know, it's like, what do we learn about where they think the show is going based on the details of clues that they put in at this point? Okay. So here I'm going to start looking into details that, um, might've been in use, um, while they were designing out the rest of season two. Um, and that made it on the way to the cards. Um, you know, some of it'll be consistent with future Twin Peaks. Some of it will kind of stop right there as, uh, we can kind of see where they made left turns instead of right turns or vice versa. But yeah, I'm going to look at, uh, number 55 with the giant. Uh, first of all, it says the giant, but it's in quotes, you know, kind of denotes a nickname there rather than a full name. So it leaves room for him to be named the fireman later, that sort of thing. Um, like the staff knew that the giant wasn't its real name. An interesting touch is they note under education for the giant that it's the White Lodge. So besides being nonsense uh, for being included at all, uh, the staff definitely saw the giant aligned with the positive stuff here rather than being kind of ambiguous. And I know Lynch sort of puts the fireman and the giant kind of in a middle place, but um, yeah, this is pretty uh, pretty cut and dry that they see the giant is kind of a polarity to the uh, the uh, bobbaligned kind of lodge adjacency. And then it says under the giant's strengths, it says, "I come from the place where the spirits that rule men and nature reside. I am a messenger of truth." And then under weakness, it says, I can only be seen by those who believe. First of all, it makes me wonder, you know, who took down the giant's information for the card set for Harry's project. But um, no, really, um, you know, coming coming from the place where spirits that rule men and nature reside, that's kind of like where I think the White Lodge is, according to the the lore that Mark Frost has brought into this from, you know, theosophy sources. Um, but, you know, a messenger of truth rather than balance. That's interesting. You know, then we have Killer Bob or Bob. There's an AKA Leland Palmer. Um, his birth date is from the beginning of time. Um, he likes nothing. His education is no formal training. And then under accomplishments, he says, I have survived as long as man has been on earth. And the strengths say, I am able to inhabit human souls and through them act out evil. So, you know, rather than just appetite, it's got to be evil. And, um, you know, the punishment is only acceptable form of retribution. So, you know, it's like if, if somebody lashes out for you, you have to punish them, I guess, uh, according to Bob. And um, the weakness is I cannot possess everyone. So I think Bob has kind of evolved more into appetite rather than evil per se. But I guess evil is too much appetite, according to Twin Peaks, in a way. But 
I cannot possess everyone. Well, how many people can you possess, Bob? It's an interesting thought. And I think it could have allowed for Bob being in control of Wyndham Earl, too. Um, you know, assuming Ted Raimi's thing where he was going to become a uh, a zombie henchman of Wyndham Earl in a possible season three. You know, it's like possibly Earl could also be a pet of Bob in some capacity, uh, whether, you know, Earl would be a zombie or whatever. That would be up for grabs, too. We have the Alcar number six. Or, yeah, number sixty five. So the the appearance listed for the owl is um, second season, episode nine, which is actually episode 16. So they're meaning the owl scene after an inquiry where Bob is now, um, you know, like, where is Bob now? And then they show the owl. This is that owl that's on the card. Um, so apparently not any of the other ones that have been hooting uh, either um, after in the um, owl cave or before with like you know the one watching the abduction of briggs but you know like we already said these are loose details so maybe not may but anyway it says here owls can represent both win wisdom and evil in twin peaks owls appear whenever ufo sightings are made owls are frequently mentioned in old indian tales Owls are first mentioned in episode one from the second season, which, you know, I think it's been a little bit earlier than that. Um, one of the things, the, one of the three things the giant tells Cooper is the owls are not what they seem. Cooper has yet to find out what that means. What we do know is that on July 25th, 1984, Laura Palmer was almost killed by an owl. Laura frequently was frightened by owls that she saw in the woods in episode nine after bob vacated leland's body the last scene is of an owl flying so regardless of all that where they took some from the secret diary of laura palmer they're they're basically just listing owls appearances here and there another mention that cooper has yet to find out what the owls are not what they seem means I, I think it's interesting that they note that, and they note it in a couple different places. So Cooper has an unfinished question uh, where I guess he's not able to believe the giant, or he believes it even though he only has two out of three. But, you know, they're they're leaving room for more here with that line. But the fact that they connect it to UFO sightings explicitly really does explain where they were going with um, with the UFO connections of Briggs. And speaking of Briggs, we do have Major Briggs and, you know, his name Garland Briggs on the back of the card. You know, there, there's a big, huge stamp of top secret down on the bottom half of the card. So is possibly the, uh, the information on the bottom of the card top secret per the stamp? Or does that mean that the whole card is labeled top secret? Um, if it is, his top secret accomplishments are... My first contact with aviation came at the age of eight when I flew a twin-engine plane solo. Under his strengths, he says I am good at keeping secrets, speed reading, and birthday surprises. Under weaknesses, he says, I didn't listen to my own intelligence. The owls are not what they seem. That implies that, um, well, the top secret part implies that Briggs has more to offer this season. 
and he is a pivotal piece to the puzzle that's going to end the um, end of the season and start next season. And he seems to know exactly what on the other two cards Cooper has mentioned to not understand. Um, under the the owls are not what they seem quote card. Um, under the famous dialogue, it goes into the three giants clues saying the man in the smiling bag refers to Jacques with how chemicals he points refers to Philip Gerard slash Mike and the owls are not what they seem is the only one of the three that has not yet been understood by Cooper. So that's two other cards that mention that he doesn't understand the owls are not what they seem. And here under weaknesses, Briggs actually says the owls are not what they seem. So he says it like he gets it so he was going to be an inflection point for cooper where cooper would then probably understand thanks to briggs helping him understand and honestly briggs is the last character card and right before the quote card of the local legend the white lodge and that famous dialogue card is about hawk speaking of the white lodge then the black lodge And um, on this card, it says, just before vanishing, Briggs asked Cooper if he knew about the Black Lodge, which is interesting because in the show, the question was, have you ever heard of the White Lodge? So it's an inversion of the actual show on this card, just like uh, just like Gerard's card said that he'd become Bob's familiar rather than Bob being Gerard's familiar. We have another random inversion that's probably just a, a random, um, you know, um, what, what do you call that? An error on the card. Um, but it's interesting, just like Cooper gets focused on the Black Lodge um, that he's trying to chase just because that's what um, Earl is going after. It's interesting that they try to make Briggs part of that now, too, um, even while they're thinking of him as sort of like, more aligned with the giant, which, you know, got his education from the White Lodge. <laughs> but anyway, we're starting to see a little bit of like where they were going with uh, the original plan for season two. And um, card number 67, the last card before it goes into trivia and all the uh, meta stuff, um, we've got the uh, Don't Let Him Rattle You Coop card, which um, it, it has an explanation of the scene that. Agent Cooper is under investigation by the FBI for inappropriate action and conduct, as well as drug trafficking. And they don't mention the DEA at all in this card. Um, Then it goes on to say, Cooper's former partner, Wyndham Earl, is being sent to Twin Peaks to conduct an FBI internal affairs investigation on Cooper. Cole assures Cooper on the phone that it has happened to everyone. So, yeah, no DEA which means no Denise, which means it was before Denise was a character, which was part of the whole rewrite of Audrey and Cooper, uh, their their romance that got next. Um, so this card was written in the early stage of figuring out what to do after uh, episode 16, when Bob leaves the show for a little bit along with Leland. So what we get here, uh, ba- you know, based on what I can understand, the initial take on how the writers were going to bring in Earl into the season, you know, earlier than they planned even, but, or, you know, at least they're announcing him. Um, but you know, they ended up liking different options better for him 
or you know remembered after this that your farmer your your former partner flew the coop coop um you know it's like did they remember that um earl went missing a little bit after they wrote this card i have a feeling that's probably the most likely option but you know e- either way it's an interesting relic from a path that was never taken now as far as more nods to the mythology we get another point of um of interest in balance and you know achieving balance but also the need to be anchored to reality on uh, number 17 card dr jacoby or lawrence lawrence jacoby as it says on the back under his strengths it says my ability to see the world through rose and aqua colored glasses thereby balancing the right and left side of my brain which is a detail that russ tamblin brought with the uh with the glasses anyway that was his wardrobe choice for it and uh you know, they told him to keep it under his hat, you know, his reasons for it. Um, but apparently he told people about the card, or, you know, people about it for the card here. And uh, they were all right with it. But yeah, he told that story on the Here's the Thing podcast. And um, Alec Baldwin interviewed him pr- uh, a couple of years ago at this point. Um, but it's a it's a good interview worth looking up. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't talk about the. uh the purple laced world that you get from it, like you see in when this detail gets repurposed for the secret history of Twin Peaks. But uh, it's it's neat that it's already there kind of in in the purview of the writers um, at the time of season two. Uh, under weaknesses, Jacoby says, my ability to conform to any reality base. So that kind of explains why he'll use you know what amounts to magical realism as part of his actual in-universe treatment plans for all these people um under the uh under the influence of the woods of twin peaks basically and you know it's it's interesting that jacoby can actually recognize how he doesn't quite fit in to the town as a positive force exactly you know it's like he's uh he's so unanchored from a reality base that he kind of rides the uh the woodsy energy of twin peaks uh rather than like having a grounded point of view so it's um it's interesting that jacoby would think of himself in that way while you know st- still treating patients <laughs> uh but yeah we've got um the wood theme you know this is before uh joan chen asked to leave the show i'm assuming and before she ends up uh you know ending up in a drawer knob but you know we've got the number 43 card the log and um we find out it's a ponderosa pine and um it says the log was given to margaret by her former woodsman husband as a wedding gift Margaret's log's strengths are its special spirit slash life force, and of course, its great insight. Its greatest weaknesses are fire and bark beetles. So yeah, it's scared of fire, hence you know the the wood being boarded up on um, the log lady's fireplace. It was given as a gift by Margaret's husband. So yeah, like the the love that um that he put into that gift for Margaret the day before he died. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm with Catherine Coulson. If she doesn't think that the log is her husband, 
um, you know, that the log is just the log, then I think it has something to do with the frequency of love that was given to her by her, um, by her then, you know, like soon after departed from this world husband and, um, the love of the source of the log kind of helps with her being able to channel positive things and possibly her, uh, her grief from loss. Um, is what leaves her open to that message. So it's nice that she's got a balance in that way. We also have the diary, number 18 card. Um, and it says, um, the card ends on this thought. The real lesson of this diary is never put into writing what you do not want others to know, which, you know, works really well with the whole thing about secrets and mysteries and um, how in the season three territory, like how, um, you know, Raymond Rose said that they didn't want him to write down the coordinates. Um, Major Briggs in the final dossier apparently didn't want um, Hastings to write down anything. Um, you know, if you write it down, somebody could, you know, know it. And it's always been kind of a theme. And I wonder if that theme started because of how much they focused on it with the diary. And it just became kind of a life lesson from this. Um, you know, now it's baked into the show. On card number 33, we kind of get in code, like, you know, the 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 implicitness of coffee and, you know, a cup of coffee. Um you know, it's like people have always drank coffee around positive things. But, you know, here we have it codified that the power of coffee is a thing that um, the writers have actually thought of consciously. Um, the the card says, as it fuels, well, you know, as it seems to fuel intuition through um, through the show, you know, it's it's essentially almost canon. The card says, some think it was the coffee that made things different in Twin Peaks. You know, like maybe, maybe they always knew that it actually kind of tunes you to, to what's different and, um, you know, a, a higher plane of thought, the, the intuition plane, you know, it doesn't really say specifically there, but, but yeah, coffee, making things different and making things easier to understand from the spiritual side is interesting to hear here, but, you know, as it is with most of these codes, um, you know, they're, they're not really going to lay it down too deeply, just that, you know, things are associated with other things and you get to say what those things are. And that's most apparent with card number 61, which is the ceiling fan. Now, as far as appearances, the only place it's credited is um, it appears in the first season pilot. But, you know, we all know better. We all know that that's a repeated image that and you know maybe it was only filmed once but it sure got used in a whole bunch of other episodes including episode 17 where um you know it's it's sarah being led away from the show <laughs> under the significance category of the ceiling fan card it says located in the upstairs landing of the palmer house the ceiling fan represents whatever you want it to represent as the twin peaks Gazette says Something is different. So, yeah, they know it's related. They know it can be whatever it needs to be. And they know it's an important, you know, an important visual bit of iconography. 
and um, they're leaving it up to us along with so many other things. But um, yeah, it was it was interesting to look through this card set to um, kind of see like any of the thoughts that the writers decided to put down on these cards and why. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully you got something fun out of this. Hopefully it was entertaining. Um, you know, again, I'm not trying to take it too seriously, but you know, it's, it's still interesting to see kind of enough of what they thought of things to put it down, even in a story that was in process. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So that's all we've got for this. and. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to start with the sign-off. You have been listening to the Blue Rose Task Force podcast, a production of Ruminations Radio Network and 25YL Radio. If you resonate with what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review our show, and we would love to connect with you on Twitter at Blue Rose TF Pod, on Counter Social at Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, and Instagram and Facebook at Blue Rose Task Force. You can find me at JPB underscore Little Green on Twitter and John underscore the underscore Peaky on Instagram. Visit RuminationsRadioNetwork.com for additional great shows such as Oh God It Hurts and Tony's Tall Tales. Find any number of classic 25YL Twin Peaks articles, including my entire Electricity Nexus column at 25YearsLaterSite.com. If you want to be part of a a new mailbag episode uh, you can send any comments questions or feedback to blue rose task force podcast at gmail.com or catch up with us on any of the social networks and we'll see you next week as we cover the autobiography of fbi special agent dale cooper my life my tapes the second official novel set in the twin peaks universe until then listeners i'll see you in my dreams